Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. That's the Last Lap Podcast, creating more sparks and friction than the inside of a Honda engine for Jensen Button. <laughs> See, I can laugh at my team. It's fine. You need that. <laughs> you have to. You know what they say about if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So yeah. It's... <laughs> it's not quite that bad this season. Last season, more crying than laughing. But yeah. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me, as always, is my co host, Sean Gray. Hello. And today we are talking all things Canuck Canadian, milk bags, maple syrup, uh, maple leaves, maple wood, uh, anything, hockey. Hockey, um, yeah. French. Uh, yes, half French. <laughs> um, a, uh, a boot. <laughs> we're out of stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, we're done, I think. Yeah, now we're banned from entering Canada, probably. The Canadian Grand Prix is held at the Circuit de Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal. It's been on the F1 calendar at various venues since 1967, moving to its current location in 1978. At that time, it was called Circuit Ile Notre Dame, and it was named after Canadian F1 driver Gilles Villeneuve in 1982, after he was killed during qualifying for the Belgian Grand Prix at Zolder. The lap record around the 2.7 mile circuit is 1.13.622, set by the Ferrari of good old Rubens Barrichello back in 2004. The long back straight provides an opportunity for many DRS-assisted overtakes, but care must be taken in getting it all sorted out before the final tricky chicane. Get this corner wrong and you could be going straight into the Wall of Champions. So-called after the 1999 Grand Prix, saw Gilles Villeneuve's son Jacques Villeneuve, Damon Hill and even Michael Schumacher, all world champions, crash into this wall. And it's not just the wall of champions to watch out for, chances of multiple safety cars are high, as this is another street circuit with plenty of barriers waiting to catch the drivers out, notably in 2007 with Robert Kubica's horror crash. I still don't know how he walked away from that, and it's also still such a shame that his rally accident took him out of F1. Totting up the positions over the last decade gives us a 10-year podium of Alonso in third, not much chance of that this weekend at a power circuit, Lewis Hamilton in second, and standing at the top step is Sebastian Vettel. There can be uneventful races here, so let's not hype it too much, but there have been some absolute classics. This is high on the list of favourite tracks for many fans. Recent years saw 2011 become the longest Grand Prix in history here, starting behind the safety car due to bad weather, which got increasingly worse, eventually leading to a red flag. Over two hours later, the race restarted. This is when commentators really earned their money trying desperately to find something to talk about. The whole Grand Prix was incident-packed, safety cars are plenty, but the standout performance was Jensen Button, who survived a clash with his teammate Lewis Hamilton, a drive-through penalty and a puncture, to eventually come from last place to take the win from Sebastian Vettel on the last lap. It was a marathon event to watch, but well worth it. Let's hope 2016 offers more of the same. Let's find out with Andrew and Sean. Actually, a guy started at my work this week who's from, from Montreal, has been to the Canadian Grand Prix a couple of times I was like oh wow it's pretty cool because he just lives five minutes from the racetrack so yeah. I was te- he was telling me all about how he 
uh, that he used to be able to just stay in his own bed and then pop down on the Sunday <laughs> afternoon to watch a Grand Prix. I was like, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's not like getting to Silverson where you have to start three days before the GP starts to get through the traffic. He was like, yeah. I, I said something, oh, yeah, the hotels are expensive, though, eh? And he just went, yeah, well, I just stayed at my house. So what <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. Oh, well. Not bad for some. Uh, yes. Uh, so the Canadian Grand Prix... Um, one of our uh, personal favourites on the podcast. Um, Definitely one of mine anyway. I think I ranked it second in my favourite track, although um might downgrade it after Sunday. <laughs> well, yes. Let's, um, I guess, let's just get into this. Early. So it was the, uh, was that the sixth? No, seventh Grand Prix of the season. Australia, Pass. Bahrain, China, Russia, Spain, Monica. Monaco, Canada. Yes. Seven. Two, four, six, seven. Yes. Yep, seven. <laughs> um, we, well, it looked like, didn't it, for a while that we were going to get an interesting race weekend with lots of rain bits and pieces. And really, we got a bit of a damp squib in, in quali. Um, it didn't really cause people any real problems. Um, plenty of people clattered the wall of champions, but they do that in the dry, so it's not really worth <laughs> pretending that was heightened by the weather. Um, and then the race looked for, was it 70% chance they said that it would rain? Um, I, don't, I don't remember the exact figure, but... Um, they it tweeted certainly... it. F1 at F1 tweeted. Originally they tweeted 30% chance of rain, and then literally their next tweet was 70% chance of rain. So in the time it took them to t- type that out, it increased twofold. <laughs> um, but yeah, 70% chance of rain, and it, it lightly damped the track. Uh, before the formation lap, and then that was it. Uh, which rather put an end to everything, unfortunately, I, I think, in terms of it being as interesting as it could be. Absolutely. It, it certainly could have done with the rain, that's for sure. So I guess we start very much like Spain with another first corner incident for Mercedes. Uh, what would, what did you make of it all? Uh, yeah... I, I, I'm. It's a difficult one. I, I'm. I'm not penalising Lewis in this situation. Uh, I think it's. It, it, it's very close to Lewis being. Uh, you know, deserving deserving the flack for it. But I think he's he's just it's just before the point where I'd start saying Rosberg has to feel aggrieved there. Um, I think Rosberg has plenty of time to to back out and, and get it back in back in, in behind Lewis and just and, and yeah not make the overtake that he wants to make but ultimately s- s- remain hold position and, and push on from there I, I don't think Rosberg has to go steaming in um, as possibly as much as he is he was always going to be run out of the road it's the nature of the first corner and I don't think Lewis should be penalised or necessarily uh, feeling overly bad about that incident for me, and I'm someone who's obviously a Rosberg fan, but uh, yeah, I, I think it was just on the side, just on the side of okay for Lewis. So I got in a big Twitter argument with somebody over this, or rather, they got into it with me. I, I wasn't actually that bothered about the incident particularly, um, other than somebody suggesting it was entirely Nico's fault, and that, that's the only bit that really annoyed me about anybody saying stuff about it because um, the way that I look at it um, 
And it was pointed out by the other person, and it was quite fair, and it, it kind of brought me back from being more annoyed about the incident than um, I probably had a right to be. Um, that it is the outside of the corner that Nick is doing it, and the chances are, unless you're well ahead of the car up your inside, um, you are going to get pushed off the road. And I think we actually said this, it was pointed out again, that in 2014, exactly the same thing happened. Um, and I think we said exactly, I think we said pretty much the same thing there, that um, once you'd gotten there, uh, unless you, you could have, you know, you were far enough ahead to really chop into the person on your left uh, and force them to back off, you are, you're going to be pushed off by the other car because it's got to go straight on as well. So, yeah. which um, is why I say Rosberg's has a chance. He knows the first corner there. He has a chance to lift a little bit and just tuck in behind Lewis and probably remain right behind on Lewis's gearbox and can, you know, push on with his race. He chooses not to do that, um, which is why I'm reluctant to really blame Lewis. Lewis has the inside line. He just takes his corner and gen- genuinely drives the natural line into the corner. So. As much as I'm a Rosberg fan, he he should have he should have known that he was going to run out of road doing that. It was obviously you know it's the first start, it's the first corner. He's de- desperate to get past world championship at stake and things. He, and, he, you know, and he's 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 made a bold move and it hasn't worked out for him. But I think if he could have that corner back, he would say, yeah, okay, yeah. we'll have to fight another day. Tuck him beside, tuck him behind Lewis. You move on. You're behind your teammate, but you can crack on and hopefully get the job done elsewhere on the track. Yeah, I, I think my um, my feeling was it, you know, after especially kind of sleeping on it, um, because I really made all my comments after the it, watching the whole race and I'd not seen a replay of the start, so I was kind of going from memory, um, and in my memory it was worse than um, it looked when I when I sort of started watching the replays. So that that changed my mind somewhat as well. Um, but I think it was one of those things where I, Nicky Lauda joked, I think, slightly, but I'm sure it probably did happen, that they've been reminded that not to take each other out at the first corner. <laughs> and that that was exactly what happened. And I think the only thing I would say is that both drivers probably have an op- had an opportunity to not get into that. I think you're absolutely right that probably Rosberg on reflection will think, actually, you know, I tried too hard to make that overtake happen. I wasn't far enough ahead and... Um, Coming you know. into the race, you know, having not had the best Monaco Grand Prix, so he's feeling a bit of the pressure. Lewis is cutting into the, cutting into the championship lead. You know, it's all it's all playing on his mind. You know, so he gets it. He thinks at the first corner, he's sitting on that grid, going, "I'm going for this. I need to make this move happen. I need to stamp my authority on this championship bid." And it didn't work out for him. And that's motor racing. But ultimately, you know, if he, in hindsight, hindsight's a wonderful thing. He, he probably thinks now, I probably should have just, you know, been a bit more patient. But it's a 50-50 racing incident down into the first corner. One guy's got the racing line, another guy's got uh, run out of road. It's it's a, it's a relatively nothing incident. And like a lot of the times this season and last season, we're talking about it because it's the two Mercedes drivers. So if that's further down the grid and it's Danny Fiat on, I don't know, Sergio Perez or something, we probably give it about one glance with the eye and go, okay, yeah, run out of road, no big deal whatever but because it's the two mercedes drivers everything's heightened 100 percent, and that's, that's but it, nature, it, it that's is the game but it also it links back to my other side of that which is i think when when lewis sees that rosberg is where he is um there is a there's a point where he can do something about it as well um 
knowing that the contact contact is inevitable, more you know, especially probably seeing more of it from his side. Um, I think he can. Uh, he's he can. He can. In... Yeah, I think that's the the thing is is that what he's gone is that I think you know he's got the inside line, and so he's going. The chances of this going badly for me are um, you know are much you know much it's slimmer. Like, yeah. I'm just going to go and take the line and then let Rosberg do what he wants. Work it out, so. which is not an unreasonable position in general fighting against somebody for the championship, but it becomes slightly less reasonable when you consider all the other stuff that's going on. I think there's, you know, um, I think Lewis has taken the mindset down into that corner there that the worst thing that can happen for him in that situation is that Rosberg takes him out and Rosberg gets, would get all the blame. Yeah. I, so I think, he's in I essentially right. a win-win he's... situation. Either he takes the corner and takes the position or Rosberg takes me out and he gets absolutely uh, hung, drawn, and quartered for it, yeah. and that, that suits Lewis as well. So he he know he knows that he's like he's 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 got all he's holding all the cards into that yeah. first corner there. And I think and that's... And, and and you can't. I'd, I'm not. And I can't blame fan, him but for that. You can, yeah, you can't. No. Yeah, exactly. You can't knock the guy for that. And 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 if it was the other way around and Rosberg done the same thing, I'd be saying exactly the same thing, and I'd be being going all oh, superb, Rosberg. You did exactly the right thing there. So same goes for Lewis. You know, he made it. He made it stick. He got the and he ran Nico out of road. And like I said, if that was the Ferrari on the on the Mercedes, let's just say Vettel versus Lewis, probably wouldn't have been as big an incident. But it's all heightened because it's the two Mercedes drivers. It was a shame for the race. It kind of ruined the race a little bit for me because it threw Nico down the field. And I think we might have had a bit more interesting of a race up front if Nico had still had been right with him. Although his pace when he went down the field wasn't great anyway. So whether that whether we would have had a race up front or not, we'll never know. But it certainly kind of took a little bit away from me um, losing Nico from the front-running battle. I think what it did for me is that I think it, that almost in a way cemented what then happened with the pit stop for Ferrari. I think if there'd been two Mercedes behind them and they'd gone, hmm, if we do this, the likelihood is that we'll have to pass two Mercedes to get back to the front, even yeah. if we've got fresh tyres. I think they'd have thought differently about it. Interesting point, yeah, definitely. Um, but when I think they went one, I think they went, hmm, well, it's only one car he's got to, you know, get up and, uh, uh, you know, and... Uh... You know, if they get if it works out, we could be on to something gold here, yeah, so the yeah, totally. So Vettel's start, though, what a lightning quick wow. start that was. that so was amazing. Did... It's probably the best Formula 1 start I think I've ever seen. <laughs> right, um, where's that? Where did they find that? <laughs> it looked like he had a rolling start, didn't he? He was so quickly behind as the Mercedes soon... and around it and gone. As soon as he got into the first corner in the lead it was so lightning I, I said I can't wait to see the replay of that because like that looked jump starty it was that good and when it showed the replay I was like no it wasn't a legal start it was just pff, superb <laughs> like fair enough you know where have they been hiding that so if they can keep that up going forward that will certainly be a useful tool for them if they could because chances are nine times out of ten they aren't going to qualify ahead of the Mercedes so if that's the only way they can get by them then pff, crack on you know it was a great start and you know it all sort of settled down until uh, the obviously the first virtual safety car came out, and that's what caused the Ferraris to react. So what, what, just remind me, what was the virtual safety car for again? That was for Julian uh, Palmer. I remember Palmer retiring early, but I can't really remember. It was what. somebody who was who just pulled over to the side. Oh, uh, mm, hang on a minute. Uh, 
Uh, uh, yeah, Palmer retired on lap 16, which is roughly around when the Ferrari pitted, I think, so that must be right. I think so. Button pulled off and was well out of the way, wasn't he? So, uh, Oh, no, what was he? Hang on a minute. Uh... Button retired on lap 9, so it couldn't have been Button. Just too early. No, I think that's wrong. It was lap 11 he pitted. So I think it must have been. Oh, really? It must have been Button then. Sorry, yeah. my bad. Okay. I didn't realise the Ferrari had pitted so early. That's uh, that's really early. So I didn't realise it was so early. Yeah, so it must have been Jensen then. So Jensen's uh, had a, an engine blow. There was fire coming at the back, wasn't there? Of, uh, there was, and lots of sparks, which, do you know what I mean? Um, not great. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. But they were suggesting that, um, or Honda was suggesting that they literally didn't see anything. There was no... Um, there was no data going on. The oil pressure was all fine. There weren't any temperature spikes or anything to re- really suggest that it was going to happen. It was just a sudden and <laughs> almighty loss of uh, everything out the the back of the exhausts. Um, but Jensen was saying that um, that's, that, that's the engine that done the last few races. Yep. So it's possible that it was just um, a, a normal reliability you know say normal reliability thing but just do you know what i mean yeah it, it just, just happened to go past the the point of uh where it was happy for the number of races it was doing um yeah. but their pace yeah, and qualifying kind of justified yeah. i think in, in a lot of ways if you if you because they had the new turbocharger unit in there so um and that was interesting to see how well they're doing quality whilst uh obviously as we'll get to the race wasn't anywhere near as good but um at least it's not the usual stuff that's been hampering them. Do you know what I mean? In terms of what the failure is, it looked like just a sort of combustion engine sort of thing, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like Pistons a, uh, going It's, it's tried enough, yeah. It's had enough wear and tear put through it and it's cried enough, which is, yeah. <laughs> I'm loath to say encouraging, but you know what I mean? Like, it's it, it could be worse. Yeah, it's be a not... Lot more uh, if it was a brand new engine straight out the bag, you know, and it's going <laughs> to pop after nine laps. So that'd be more concerning. Well, absolutely. Or the, the usual... Oh, I've got no power. Uh, it's the MGU is packed up because the turbo stopped working or the the things that it has been up until fairly recently. Um, yeah, so anyway, that was buttoned virtual out and yeah. Vettel pits under the virtual safety car. Um, it was a bit unlucky because the virtual safety car stopped just as he was coming in. Yeah. So had, had he had another lap of the virtual safety car, he might have been looking really rosy but he was just a, I think Ferrari thought they were pulling a master stroke there and just just missed out obviously but he, were... he saved he saved about 10 seconds didn't he in the end he only came out about 10 seconds behind uh, or Takes, um... no, he, he came he was like 16 seconds behind doesn't he so it should be about 26 seconds lost so he saved uh, a chunk of time and, it's not as much as that around Canada. It? it's only about 18 seconds and the, uh, okay. and he was about 10 behind so I think it was about 8 seconds okay. he gained uh, but if had the had the virtual safety car, you know, had another lap, it could have been. I think he just 30, needed 14, 15 seconds. You he know, needed like, one more corner, didn't he? Because he yep. did, what he didn't need was Hamilton exiting off of the end of the straight at speed. Because yep. going down the down, going down the straight, I don't think he, he, the virtual safety car was still on. So I think Lewis was behind that, which is why he was able to make up a reasonable chunk of the time. Um, but by the time the fir- he got to the actual first corner, he could let let it go and. Um, and get going again. But that um, time Vettel's in the pits and he's just missed out on the sort of the most use they could make. Yeah. But it was still. However, I think, I think it was. I, I, you know, ultimately it turns out to be the wrong idea, and you know, one stopping 
was just about quicker than than everything else. But it was worth a go. I that's what I was just thinking. Everybody spent the last two seasons lambasting Williams for towing the line and not trying hard, not racing uh, Mercedes on pit stops, and you know, and taking the initiative. And I thought, you know, Ferrari went. Do you know what? We can at this point, if we do it now, we will save time in the pit stop. Um, we can get onto a fast tire to get us back. You know, whilst the the front, you know, anybody doing a one stop has to hold on to their ultra softs, which are, you know, I think they would have generally thought would have not lasted as long and been able to have done yeah. the lap times that Lewis was able to do, um, and that the soft tire probably wouldn't have done. Um, was it 37 laps I think Lewis did on his softs? Possibly even more than that. Yeah, it was Well, I know quite... Fernando ended up doing something like 51 or something ridiculous, or 53. Um, yeah, yeah, it must have been must have been about 40 laps. For no, Lewis, 40, yeah, least, you're right. Yeah. I think it was 40 or 41 laps. And, but Fernando so, yeah. did about 53. And I, don't, I think that's a reasonable assumption to make. It's but, a reasonable gamble from Ferrari's point to think that they might not get that length of time. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely... It was worth a roll of the dice, you know. Ultimately, didn't quite pay off, but it was definitely. Uh, at the, I mean, at the time when they came, when they came in, I was sitting there thinking, I think they might have got this one right. You know, there was a period in the race where I thought they'd got it right, and it never worked out in the end. But there wasn't an awful lot between the two strategies, and it was like you say, you match the Mercedes, and ultimately you're probably going to finish second more often than not to them. So why not have a go? Uh, and it, it didn't quite work out, but you know that's that's Formula One. The the thing that bugged me the most about the whole whole strategy thing this whole weekend was why was the soft tire the compulsory tire? Why was a tire that's going to get you forty five laps the compulsory tire? I didn't understand this because in, all that did was lock in every single team doing a one stop strategy and making the strategy boring. So why on earth would they not make the super the 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 red tire the super soft tire? the compulsory tyre, and that way everybody would have went ultra soft, super soft, super soft, and we would have had a two-stop race, and it would have been a more interesting strategy race, and if anybody wanted to go uh, super soft, soft, and try a one-stopper like a Sergio Perez or something, that option was there for them, and they could go but and, and someone could try doing the one-stopper and making it work, but by making the soft tyre the compulsory tyre, every, it locked everybody, with the exception of Ferrari, because they took a chance, into doing a one-stop strategy race. And all it meant was we had one stint, everybody in position, a second stint, everybody in position, and that was it. And that's rubbish. One-stop strategy races is when there's no refueling and, and it's just, let's put a tyre on, come in, change it, put another tyre on, go to the end. That's boring. So I couldn't understand why the the, the yellow tyre was the compulsory tyre. Like I never, I could not, I couldn't get my head around it. I still can't get my head around it. No. It really, it, really annoyed me. I, and it also means, for some reason, I've been misunderstanding the tyre rules, which isn't yeah, because they're entirely well, complicated. Well, I thought it was that they had to use one of the two mandated compounds, and there would be a third, quicker compound, which didn't count as one of the compulsory tyres. So you can, you know, if the if they were like this week, where there was ultra soft, super soft, and soft, the soft and the super soft were mandated. You had to use one of those two, and you could, if you chose to, use the ultra soft as well so the obvious thing is is that you would have all the ultra softs for qualifying and uh, any fast laps in the race and then you'd take some of the super soft and some of the soft depending on what you were thinking strategy wise but if you use the super soft that surely that's a mandated 
I thought that was also a mandated not you know you didn't have to use both the soft and the super soft but so long as you used one of the two mm-hmm. then that was I, fine but then there was this this thing where Vettel still had had definitely had to pit onto the soft onto the yellow because tire because he'd only used the, the pink and the red one yeah, yeah. I didn't I, understand I, that I didn't think that's I, how I don't the rules know worked I don't honestly at this point with the tires I'm not even sure like if you don't quite know, then I don't know because you pay more attention to it than me. So well, um... I spent a lot of time at the start of the season <laughs> sat pouring over those bloody tire rules to try and understand. And I thought I had a really good understanding. I honestly, <laughs> I genuinely thought I understood it better than most people. <laughs> honestly, like that, that just it was properly annoyed me because if there's one thing I hate, and even if there was refueling, it used to bug me. One stop strategy races kill me. Like yes. Just, there's it's no excitement it's let's all do one thing we'll all come in then we'll all do the next thing there's no no variety there's nobody trying something a bit different let i mean like obviously ferrari did try something a bit different and it didn't pay off but just i just hate one stop strategy this is one of my biggest pet peeves and and by forcing all the teams to use the yellow tire essentially locked that in so unless there was rain we weren't going to get an interesting strategy race no, so the, and that was that was Ferrari, the bit that irritated me as well. That you know, um, if the Ferrari had pace to match the Mercedes when it came at the stops, and we got a fight on track, I'd have probably been looking over it and going, "Okay, it was a rubbish decision to have the one-stop strategy race, but at least we got a good fight on track." But but, but because we never got that either, then it's just it, it just it, it, there was a point. There was maybe one or two laps when Vettel came out after his second stop, where we thought, "Oh, he's he's got he's going to have a bit of pace here. He's got ten, fifteen laps younger tires. Let's see what he can do." And after about three or four laps, it soon became clear that no, he's not he's not got the pace here. He's not got the pace, and the tires don't fall off the cliff like they used to. So no, they, they can. That's, they can... that's the annoying thing. And I think the cold temperatures, because it was it wasn't wet, but it was cold. Um, they weren't getting the ultimate pace out of the ultra soft or the super soft, but they weren't getting the degradation. And I think that's what allowed Lewis Hamilton to do so many laps on the ultra soft without having to pit because he could get a reasonable time out of them, not the ultimate fastest time, but the time he could get out of them in the conditions wasn't tearing up the compound. So he was able to be so much more consistent across the laps he did in those. So even though Vettel was fast and catching up to him, it wasn't that you know Lewis was chewing through his tire tires to try and you know, but still losing time or something. You know he was just going through and doing fine. So he just stayed on and stayed on for as long as he could. You know, dropped his pit stop knowing that he could he was now going on, um, and that the the tires were likely to last. So he didn't have to worry. He didn't have to stress about thinking I've got to put in lots of hot laps on these soft tires to try and you know make up for the time I'm now losing to Sebastian or have been losing to Sebastian. Um, you know, he knew that the, the ultra soft tyres had lasted this long. So, of the course, the soft tyres are going to be, yeah. you know, they might not be fast, but they're definitely going to last. Um, and, and and ultimately, Vettel had the same tyre. So, yeah, they were 15 laps younger, but they were still the the, the soft compound tyre. They were still the slowest tyre. So, whereas they were younger and he'd have more grip, it still wasn't a quick tyre. It wasn't going to, it wasn't like he'd strapped on a new pair of ultra softs and he was going to suddenly go a second and a lap, a second and a half, a faster a lap you know and cut the gap like just chew through it if he was going to be able to make it work on track with the younger tires it was going to be a slow process a gradual catch and hopefully pass and it became clear like five six laps in that just wasn't going to happen like it didn't have the pace as soon as he wasn't able to breeze past lewis you just knew you were just like all right this is not going the way it is 
And then you then had 50 laps of waiting to see, maybe I'm wrong, maybe this isn't yeah. going to go. And then it just didn't happen. The only thing that could save it is if maybe two or three years ago, the tyres would have went off the cliff and Lewis yeah. would have suddenly went from doing one one minute twenties to one minute twenty fives and he'd lose like three, four seconds yeah. a lap very quickly. That's the only way that something could happen. But you knew anybody who watches the sport knows that the, these tires aren't they just aren't doing that anymore. Pirelli have firmed up their compounds. They aren't falling off the cliff like they're used to a couple of seasons ago. So there was a point where Lewis was t- his lap times were slowing and slowing and slowing, but you knew that they were going to get to a point where it was going to be a sort of consistent maintained level all the way to the end. And that's ultimately what ended up happening. And he was able to just manage that and, and, and drive to the end. And, and Seb couldn't do anything about it. And because Seb came out on the on the yellow tires as well, yeah, they were 15 laps younger, but they might have, he would have had a few laps of that life. And then ultimately would have just sort of started doing about similar lap times to Lewis. You know, what I'm, I think my point is, Lewis on tyres that have been used 30 laps were roughly getting the same amount of lap time out of them on tyres that were in Seb's that were using like 15 laps, you know what I mean? So there's a point where they got to a, cert- a certain age of laps and then they just sort of stayed at that same same sort of level of lap time. So even though Seb's were 15 laps younger, he wasn't getting he wasn't really benefiting from that because the t- it sort of just leveled out and he was just going the same sort of pace as Lewis. Whether Lewis, whether that was because the Mercedes is quicker than the Ferrari, maybe, but it looked that way to me as if even though Seb had f- fifteen lap fresher tires, the he wasn't able to go any quicker than Lewis on thirty uh, thirty old thirty lap old tires, and and I think that's the nature of the firmer compounds. I don't know. I just think it. I think it's daft when we've got a dig a, a track that's known to not really degrade the tires, and we're forcing everybody to use firm compounds. That seems a bit silly to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't disagree. I think that's an incredibly valid point. Um, so like I say, it was time. very surprised when I when I saw all of these uh, experts in F one saying, "Oh, and Seb's got the pit again," and I was just like, "No, he doesn't. Oh, he does apparently." Oh. It's just stupid, man. And it'd be like taking the firmer tire around Monaco. The tires don't degrade around there, so why would you take the firm compound? Like, listen, we need an ultra ultra soft. Clearly, <laughs> they're not soft enough. <laughs> just yeah, like you should. They should have. They should have not been forced to run the yellow tire. They should have been forced to run the red tire. And that's it. I'm not even sure we should be forcing them to run any tyre. Give them three different compounds and choose whatever two they want to use. You know? Why is that why is that a problem? I don't I don't really know. I I thought it, I thought my version was much better. <laughs> I, so just here's th- here's here's three compounds. Do what you want. So if you're up front, you got track position, you bolt on some ultra softs and make a two stop lap. What uh, two stops work, but if you're Sergio Perez and you're forcing there down the field and you want to strap on the, the, the hardest tire and go for a big go for a big stint, do that too. We're not forcing you into doing anything, and it just seemed like the teams were forced into strategy that took away freedom, it almost took away a, it took away creativity from the strategic guys for me. That shoehorned them into having to do a certain thing, and that's that's not what you want to see. You want to see strategic innovation. You want to, and I mean, obviously Ferrari had a pop and went for it didn't work out but the rest of the guys like like someone like uh like max verstappen he ended up coming in and making the two stops as opposed to the one stop and 
he ha he went soft tire, soft tire. So even though he was doing this two stop strategy, he was having to put on the slow tire. Which if you're doing this two stop strategy, you should be putting on quick tires. It just didn't make any sense. It just seemed a bit mad. <sighs> I uh, we digress. <laughs> well. It was. It wasn't. I just. It was a very frustrating race because I yes. felt like it could have been so much more, from a fan point of view. We were promised rain. We were promised Montreal, a good track. We were promised a quick Ferrari, and we ultimately got nothing. We got. We didn't get an on-track battle. We didn't get fun strategic thing, and we didn't get any rain. So there was just nothing. Anyway, but yeah. So it was still a good race for Ferrari. I don't think they can be too disappointed finishing five seconds a lap behind the Mercedes, just like in the. Uh, just like in the qualifying, they couldn't be too too disappointed with finishing where they didn't qualify, and it's the closest they've been all season. Um, I'm, I'm a few weeks ago we said, as the Ferraris pace a myth this season that this alleged oh the Ferraris quick this year, and we we basically went well no it isn't really we 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 kind of panned them a few weeks ago. Let's mm -hmm. see this week they look to have genuine pace. So yes. What, what do you reckon? Do you reckon that's the nature of Montreal? Do you reckon Ferrari have no, upgraded? No, I. Everybody was suggesting that they'd um, made a gain somewhere. There might have been Turbo again. I can't actually remember. Um, but they said they had brought something very specific um, that seems to, um, at least in qualifying pace, have made them closer. Um, Which can only be a good thing. From a... Well, you know, at this stage, I'm desperate for this to become a, a minimum two-team championship. And I could really rather do with Red Bull... Um, being more consistent as well um you know I, I don't begrudge mercedes winning something you know if they've got <laughs> the best car per se but i'd like them to have to race more than one other car to win do you know what i mean yeah of course i completely agree um and just that just you t this race kind of to me kind of typified the worst aspects of f1 when there is a dominant car like this and you know when when Lewis had the free air and wasn't behind, you know, Vettel, and that was clearly, clearly the Mercedes can't follow cars. You know, that I think has been shown in the last couple of races. Yep. It's stuck behind something for any length of time and can't breeze past it on newer tyres or something like that. It's got a big problem. Yeah, um, I agree because, I mean, it showed that when Lewis found himself down the field early on in the season and then Nico's had that punishment in the last two or three races. It, 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 this is not an odd. This is not a one-time thing. That's five or six races a season out of out of the seven that we've had, where the it's been a noticeable problem for them. So, yeah, they need they, completely. They need to qualify, or they, they could struggle to follow cars. Definitely. Um, third place for Valtteri Bottas. Um, I don't know how he got there. <laughs> I didn't just, see him. I swear, all race. I th I'm, 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 I don't want to be too critical of you know, a Williams on the podium, uh, because obviously that's a really they've not really been at their races this season, so it's a, a cracking achievement. But you know, Rosberg had his dramas. Verstappen ended up switching strategy, which never worked out. And Ricardo's ended up down in seventh, and I can't remember why. What happened to Ricardo again? He had a problem as well, didn't uh, he? Did he? Um, Possibly he, a his tires. No, I just think his tires went off. Um, he made a, I think he made another stop, and he had and, to make another stop, whereas everybody else didn't. And Bottas, who managed to get to the end on the one stopper, just sort of 
found himself in third position. So don't want to take too much away from him, but there was other people around him, around him having dramas or having slight, slight minor problems. But yeah, fair enough. The Williams looked. It didn't necessarily look that quick in this track, although you would expect it to be half decent around Montreal. Uh, it's generally a, a you know a high speed track that you would associate Williams with being competitive. Yeah, but, but you know he, he, it didn't necessarily look the fastest package, but it looked tough to pass, and I think that was the key thing. Like guys like Rosberg and Verstappen found themselves alongside Bottas or behind Bottas, and whilst ultimately in clean air, both those cars are probably quicker. They could, you know, stick that Mercedes, uh, stick that Williams with a Mercedes engine in the back, and it's low drag down the straight. You're not going to pass it, you know. Yeah. And and he managed to find himself in track position when other guys around him were having dramas or making an extra stop and coming out and being on quicker tires and quicker packages. But the but the, the Williams just they're not going to pass it down that straight, even with DRS. So it was he was able to just stay there. So fair play to Bottas. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, it's clear he did all the right things to, you know, get that. Um... It drove a very just simple, effective race. And, you know, as much as I loathe it, it was the do your solid first stint, come in, get the soft tyres and do the solid second stint. And he did that perfectly. And he parked his car exactly where he needed to park it. Whenever anybody came up to challenge him behind him, it was essentially a case of good luck getting by me. If you get by me, you get by me. But good luck passing me on this straight. And nobody could do it. So, fair enough. Um, third place then was... Uh, sorry, fourth place, I should say, um, was Max Verstappen, um, showing off some good driving skills in the last couple of laps to um, hold back uh, Nico Rosberg. Um, interesting there, wasn't it? The interesting thing for me was that Max was on the ultra soft and... Um, Rosberg was on the soft and I can't really work out why Rosberg wasn't on the ultra soft unless he didn't have any left um, or that they really thought that the soft tyre would be better than the ultra soft um, he must have used up all of his that's uh, what I, That's the only thing that I can uh, think of yeah. I was because he pitted him. after Max so yeah, I, if that's the one car you need to get past you want to say well sod it I'll be on the same tyres as him but the, at least they'll be younger then I was expecting him to go on to the red tyre, the super softs. Um, I was expecting him to go... I assumed his ultras would have been used in qualifying and at the start of the race, but he would have had a set of supers to go on to, which would have been you know, still quicker than the than the yellow tyre. But, but, so uh, that, to, for him to go on to the, to the, the, the soft compound, the yellow tyre, uh, it was a little bit strange. I can only assume that... Like you say, he never had any ultras left in B. Maybe did they maybe not take a lot of soft, uh, a lot of the red ones, the super softs, perhaps, because obviously they get to choose um, how many of each different compound they take, and maybe he just didn't really take any of the red ones, and that and that's why they had they were forced into going onto the the yellow. I don't know. Maybe they just thought the yellow was the right one to be on, given yeah. the track temperature. We'll never know. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was a it was a daft old race for Nico from that first corner all the way. It just he, slow slow puncture as well. Yeah, slow puncture, and then like you say, they can't follow cars. So as quick as that Mercedes is when it's leading from the front, stick it behind, for example, the Williams, which was mighty in the straight line. The Mercedes just couldn't get by it. He wasn't able to make anything happen, uh, which surprised me. I thought at least when they 
when he comes back through the field, he would at least breeze past a few cars after the first corner incident, but it didn't really happen. No. He got past the Force India, which you'd expect it to, but then he spent a lot of the race trying to get by Bottas and uh, couldn't happen. And then he got his slow puncture, which dropped him out behind Max. And uh, obviously we've seen we seen what happened with uh, with Max at the end there. He was trying to make the move and he just couldn't couldn't get it done. And I, they mentioned in commentary that he was having brake issues. So I don't know whether that played a part in the in the spin ultimately towards the end of the race. He was locking his brakes everywhere and then finally, or whether he just dropped it into the last corner on the braking, I'm not sure which is the correct uh, answer. But either way, he didn't he didn't get he didn't make it happen. And Max was able to, you know, to hang on for fourth. Uh, yeah, this has been a bad weekend for Nico. That championship leads only nine points now. You know, he won the first four races, and after seven races, he's only nine points in front. Remember what we were saying about Nico's yep. mental state? Where is it going to be at now? Eh? Uh, it's not. It's not looking good for him. He needs. He needs to to really win the next two races. I, I think if he did that, then it all goes back. Because he came into this race and he was actually. Smiling and joking, and it, it, it kind of seemed like he'd managed to go. Uh, you know, Monaco wasn't wasn't good, but you know, here we go. Such is life. Let's get on with it. But after this one, he was back to being the Nico we kind of remember from the last couple of seasons of being yeah. really down and depressed. And um... absolutely, yeah. And I worry about him from that. Like he needs to. He needs to find a way to nip this in the bud. You know, he's still, he's st- he needs to be able to tell himself, I'll lead this world championship after ten, after seven races. Win, lose, or draw, I've led this world championship after seven races. I've led it from day one, I'm still in the lead after seven races. If he's able to tell himself that and focus, then, then he can crack on, but... I do worry about him from a mental, from a mental like sports psychology capacity. Whether he's actually got it in him for the fight, we've it's, you know we've questioned it multiple times over the last couple of seasons. If he doesn't come out, he need, he, like, what Azerbaijan is it next? He needs yes. a, he needs a big result there. I think he, ha- he has to finish ahead of Lewis. Whether they win the race, who knows? Probably given it's a Mercedes, but he needs to finish ahead of Lewis no matter what. Big time. Pressure's yeah. on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, somebody else who the pressure might be on generally, and who admitted it himself in some, in, uh, you know, some interviews after the race that his his performances haven't really been up to par. Is Kimi Raikkonen in sixth? Um, I don't really know what happened well to him on. either. He, he he pitted at the same time as um, Vettel, but just didn't seem to have the pace on the tyres. Uh, couldn't get yeah. past people either. Just ultimately isn't as fast as his teammate. I think it doesn't seem like it at the moment. Uh, I, you know, I normally wouldn't say that. I'd normally say that. You know, I think Kim, Kimmy's got the speed in him, but at the moment, I'm kind of like. I don't think Kimmy Reckoning's been. I think Kimmy Reckoning's been a half second a lap slower than Vettel since the day Vettel joined Ferrari. He just doesn't got it, and uh, he hasn't got it in the locker to compete consistently at that level. Um, I love Kimi Räikkönen, but I'm a realist in this situation, and he's just not as quick. The strategy didn't help him, like in the same way that it didn't help Vettel. Ultimately, it proved to be marginally slower. But you know, Rosberg had to pit again. Verstappen had to pit again, and they both finished ahead of Kimi. So Rosberg had a slow puncture. Max jumped onto the two-stopper. You know, so if Vettel's thirty seconds up the road. Why can't Kimi? Kim- 
Pete a bit closer with those two guys, you know, uh, on a similar strategy if, if Vettel's able to complete, compete with Hamilton, you know. There's no reason why he shouldn't. The, car, the car's obviously got some pace in it. I don't know whether Vettel's getting the upgrades or not, maybe a little bit sooner. Think there's anything in that? Um, I don't. I think, um, it's a bit like the um arguments they were saying about um, uh, what was it? Um, never mind. It's gone from my head. I was, th- <laughs> I was thinking about two drivers, and then I was thinking about something else, and I can't remember. Um, but I, I just. I don't really see why they'd hobble one car particularly if they didn't have to, and it's not like Ferrari are short of the resource to True. build enough things. So I, I don't think there is in that. I think it just at this this time, I I don't know where... I don't really know what Kimi really wants to do. He keeps on saying that he wants to stay in F1. and um... It's possibly just a motivation thing, you know? It's tough to say that any professional sportsman could be un or demotivated or not not demotivated but just unmotivated. But if there's one man that you get the impression just does not care, it is Kimi Raikkonen. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm completely wrong. It's uh... I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I, part... My solution is to get somebody else in, in the Ferrari. It's exactly what I would do. Uh, you know, however good a servant is and however popular Kimi Raikkonen is, I don't. I don't understand why um, Ferrari have a young drivers program and then maintain Kimi Raikkonen not challenging Sebastian Vettel. Did you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, if he was challenging Sebastian Vettel, honestly, every race in the same in the way that Button and Alonso are actually pushing themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. You, you, I mean, if you went back through, you'd probably look at the results, and Vettel's probably finished ahead of him what, like, eight out of ten times or something like that. You know, like it's been that one-sided to the point where Raikkonen looks like he looks like a not a, you know like a, a proper B driver, like a number two driver who's like who's very clearly the the slower, worse guy. Whereas that's this is Kimi Räikkönen we're talking about, a former world champion. He shouldn't be that slow in comparison to his teammate. You know, he should fancy himself to be able to compete with any teammate what's on the grid, and, and he isn't doing it. So he he, he comes across. He, he looks. It's like a completely different driver from the one we knew five, six, seven years ago. You know. That, yeah, yeah. That's, it's not like. And he's not that old, you know. So there's no reason why he should be such a drop off in performance. It's about you know, it's the same relationship that Massa had with Alonso. There's that much of a disparity between the A driver and the B driver. I just don't know why it is. And you know, Massa had his accident and had problems after that. So you could say that's where he lost out in terms of being able to challenge, but there's no reason why Kimmy shouldn't be able to challenge his teammate. Hmm. Replace him. Replace uh, him with who? Yeah. That's the question. Well, well, probably the person who finished <laughs> behind him this race, ironically, in Daniel Ricciardo. I think uh, if there is a hot property in Formula 1, no, no, it's him. And he's. I think. I think he's there for the plucking. I think... His he's patience very with Red unhappy Bull. at Red Bull, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's really pres- every week he's saying something else now. Like 
If there was a time of, if I was if I was Mercedes thinking, shall we keep Rosberg, or if I was Ferrari thinking, shall we keep Raikkonen, I would be thinking Daniel Ricciardo has got to be worth the Sebastian Vettel phone call. Do you know that whatever they did to entice Sebastian over whilst he was having a bad time at Red Bull, um, obviously that's the big um, that's the big stumbling block potentially for Ferrari is whether uh, Sebastian yeah. has some. Say on who his teammate is, sort of Alan Prost wise. Um, I can't see Ricardo going to Ferrari purely for that reason. That's the biggest thing. But if I was for- Mercedes, I'd have to be looking there and going, yeah. you know, we've managed this situation between Rosberg and and Hamilton for so long now. Is it is it worth continuing to do it, even if we think that Nico is a good driver? That's um, the. The Mercedes one is the interesting one for me. Ferrari have always, going back to the 90s with Schumacher, had an A driver and a B driver. They always have. And I can't see them putting Ricardo in the car and upsetting that Apple car. I think they'd much rather have Vettel as their main man and, say, Grosjean or Perez or somebody like that who knows their role is going to essentially just get on with it, pick up good points for the Constructors' Championship, score a podium, be the rear gunner if he has to to Vettel, and that's what they're very clearly there to do. Rubens Barrichello, Felipe Massa, Eddie Irvine, have all done that job and done it well. Ricardo's not going to go for that whatsoever. But Mercedes, on the other hand, they've proven over the last three seasons that they're quite happy to have two drivers battling it out week in, week out for the championship. Through all the tears and tantrums that have been along the way, they've ultimately still remained We've got two drivers, and they go for the championship. Now, I'm a Nico Rosberg fan as much as anybody, but I cannot deny that the prospect of Danny Ricciardo in a wound-up Mercedes challenging Lewis Hamilton in a wound-up Mercedes, that could be something special. That could be really good. Because Lewis has had it, you know, he's he's had that car, and as much as Nico's given him a challenge, he's kind of had the measure of Nico more or less for two, two or three seasons. Dan Ricardo could be a whole different proposition to Nico Rosberg. Different styles, you know, different sort of ways of doing things. The idea of Danny and the Mercedes is very, very interesting. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg uh, helps his cause out at Force India um, with a, a good eighth place for them. Um yeah, I mean, who's ahead of them? The Red Bulls, the Mercs, the Ferraris, one of the Wormses. They're generally not going to get much further up than that, really, realistically. Pretty good result. Um, he finishes ahead of uh, Carlos Sainz. Um, the charging Carlos from the back of the grid. Yeah, you know, I think it's... Um... I think it's another nail in the Danny Fiat coffin, is what I think it is. Yeah, <laughs> sadly. Uh, but, true. Um, what a driver. I don't, I don't really remember that much about it, truthfully. But um, he started P20 and finished P9, so fair play. <laughs> Did he do the one stop? He must have done. Everybody, uh, I, think. I can't remember. I'm assuming that he did. Uh one second, let's have a look. <laughs> I did mean to have this to point out who did, but all the people who seem to do well did one stops apart from somebody who we're going to get to in a couple of places time. 
<laughs> Although that said, I think it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I think it was the one stop for Carlos. Uh, not 100% sure, but it looks like it. But yeah, he, he seems to have worked his way straight through the field. He got a good start, I think. He made a few positions off the grid and then... You know, that Toro Rosso is generally pretty half-decent anyway. It's got a bit of pace in it, so... I mean, what have they got in the back of it? Last year's Ferrari engine, is it? So. Uh, Yes. You wouldn't have expected it to necessarily be dynamite down the straights with that engine in it, but uh, nevertheless, a good result. And, you know, who's he finished ahead of? He's finished ahead of Perez. Perez tried something different, which probably ultimately cost him. Perez started on the soft tyre and tried to go soft tyre. He basically did the strategy backwards to what everybody else did it. And I think it ultimately didn't quite work out for him. Uh, which is probably how science has managed to get ahead of him. I think at one point science is doing the um, doing the sort of conventional strategy, and Perez has had to come in for his his sort of one stop. And but because he's done it the the sort of the wrong way around, it ultimately didn't work out for Sergio. And I think he might have had to pit again, which has obviously meant he's lost out to Carlos in ninth. So that's pro- that, 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 that's helped Carlos's case, but you can't deny. Uh, Anybody who comes from twentieth on the grid to finish in the points is a good, is a cracking drive. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he's. Um... Yeah, we've always been fans here, haven't we? Yes, it has to be said that we we were. <laughs> he was the he was our our pick out of the Toro Rosso guys, really. But it's um, it's good to see him continuing to to build. Because it would have been so easy for him to give up, really, wouldn't it? And go, well, this is ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? I've slogged away for the um, for the program and been reserve driver for year after year, and not you know I, I missed out to Danny Kvyat last time, and now Max Verstappen's got it. It must have been so easy for him to get his head down and just go, "I'm never getting a drive." But he's really seems to have turned that into a positive. He's um, essentially done the reverse Danny Kvyat. You know, he, he he's he's responded by saying, okay, well, I'll show you what I can do then. You want to overlook me? Here's what I can do. Whereas Danny Fiat's done the, oh, I've been dumped and just moping and not showing anything. Like Danny Fiat's not going to find himself back in the Red Bull by, you know, not not showing what he can do and not being motivated and things like that. So science has handled himself. He's come out with a lot of credit, put it that way. And, and he's quick as well. So he's shown that he can combine raw speed with you know a, a wise enough head on his shoulders which is sometimes can be a rare thing in formula one you know yeah absolutely absolutely um running off the points place was sergio prison 10th um i think in a lot of ways he was fairly lucky to end up with that 10th place i think um i think the races of all the people behind them were all compromised in one way or t'other um because he wasn't doing particularly well in the race he wasn't making up lots of places or putting in Stunning times in the way that he was in Monaco. Um, like I say, he um, he started on the soft tyre in a contrary strategy, and it just didn't really work for him. I think when he came to make his first stop, he then went on to what I assume was a soft. It would have been a softer tyre than than the yellow tyre. I'm not sure if it was the red or the or the pink one. And because as the track rubbered in, and everybody else was able to last home on their 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 softer tire there sorry their their harder tire their their slower tire Perez was found himself on the quicker tire and having to stop again on the quicker tire and it just didn't really work out he ended up finishing tenth uh you know a decent enough point I guess you'd say in the end 
given the given that the um that things didn't really go to plan in the race. So I think the Force India will look at that and go eighth and tenth in a race where both Ferraris, both Red Bulls, and both Mercedes have finished, and we finish in eighth and tenth. Yeah, I'll probably take that. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. Um... Like you say, not Perez's best race, but. Probably but he, got, he got the point out of it. So yeah, yeah and not his, not his worst either. You know, I've seen him, seen him have stinkers. <laughs> yes, so, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Fernando Alonso finishes in 11th, um, pretty much undone by an eight and a half second pit stop. Um, for that, he would have ended up um, coming out three places better off. He ended up behind uh, at least one of the Hasses, I think. Uh, and I think that pretty much destroyed his race. They got him onto the one stop earlier than everybody else. Well, and I think they possibly might have been thinking about a two stop, given how early his his first stop was. Um, but when they saw what had happened with the Ferraris, they had just had to go. Well, we're stuck now, aren't we? We're gonna we're gonna have to just see this out and see if we can make the soft tire last fifty three laps. Because if we pit and stuff, we've got no guarantee that anybody behind us is going to actually two stop. So. Um, you know, we'll just end up 30 seconds down for no particularly, you know, or not 30 seconds down, but that you say 18, 18, 20 seconds down for no particular reason. Um, <laughs> I got slightly annoyed with the, um, the contingent of people like that who like to try and, um, uh, pick holes in, in the McLaren Honda partnership at the moment and, and Fernando Alonso's attitude, um, because he suggested he, he wanted to stop for more tires and everybody was trying to suggest that he was saying that he wanted to retire the car. Yeah, yeah. From eleventh, and it was like quite clear that you were saying, "Look, we aren't going to get tenth now. I'm not going to be able to race him to tenth. Can I not just put on some some fresh boots and and lap the car faster?" And then, and I think McLaren were quite right to say, "Well, look, you don't." Someone falls off the road. Yeah, don't know, do you? Just trickle it, along and finish tenth. Yeah. Imagine if um, Nico and Max had tangled. Yeah, exactly. He'd have suddenly gone up from eleventh to ninth, and you know the whole day suddenly changes um, changes tack. So, uh, just you know, it was never going to be the greatest race track for McLaren. Their pacing qualifying, I think, shows that power wise, they're getting back on a par. The problem they've got at the moment is that they are not fuel efficient, um, and so they can't actually use that power for enough of the race. Um, that's pretty much what it comes down to, but that's all things that they can work on, and I think are are doable in terms of improving the engine performance. Um, and I think of you know you look at the other teams that are are I think definitely behind them, and to some extent in front of them. Uh, you know they've got the budget and the experience to to make all of these ha- things happen in 2016 whilst working for 2017. Whereas you know you think that. Haas and Sauber, uh, are you know, are probably already 2017 focused now because I don't think they see very much point in. I mean, a Haas maybe not because it's their first car, but um, it doesn't seem like they're producing things that are going to change that team's pace around. 13th, 14th place seems about where they are now, doesn't it? Really, if we're saying that maybe the McLarens are at 11th and 12th in general, or something like that, or 10th. 10th and 11th I think the Hasses are down there somewhere languishing probably in and around the Toro Rossos generally um, I'd probably I'd probably have the Toro Rossos fractionally faster than, yeah. the, than the Hasses yeah uh, um, I agree I think we discussed this a few weeks ago when we talked about the Hass and just you know 
in-season development was always going to be a big thing for them, you know, just with the nature of the fact that they're a brand new team. You know, they were all. You'd have to assume that they're going to be a little bit slower at developing that car in season than your, your, you know, your established teams. That's just a fact of life. So, I don't think we can. We can't. I can't be too critical of them. It's just the way it is. And like you say, around thirteenth, fourteenth, probably where they are at the moment, and they. They might be able to sneak points here and there when the track suits them and things, and Grosjean gives one of them a really good drive. But it's not nothing to be ashamed of. It's the best first season a team has had, you know, in the modern era. You know, like the caterums and the manners, etc., would have killed for that kind of first season. So can't be too critical of them. As for, sorry, just on McLaren before yep. we go on. You know, you know me. I'm a Ferrari fan. You know, I'm I'm not a McLaren fan, but even I will raise such a wry smile if they turn up at Albert Park next season after two years of being panned from every direction. If they turn up at Albert Park next season and just ping it on pole position, <laughs> it would be amazing, I wouldn't it? It would be the best be, story. I would wouldn't just it? smile so much. Fernando Alonso turns up in a McLaren 2017, sticks it on pole. That would be awesome. With Stoffel van Dorn next door to him, although I've got a feeling Jensen might still be there. But hey ho, um, yeah, that would be it. Would be it would be phenomenal. Don't think it'll happen, but would be good. Twelfth, Danny Kvyat. What do you have to say? I don't think I have anything to say. Like quite <laughs> genuinely, I, I, I've kind of given up on Danny Kvyat. I was hoping. Danny Fiat's given up on Danny Fiat. Yeah. So, I feel bad for the kid. <laughs> He's younger than me, so I'm allowed to call him the kid. <laughs> younger uh, than a lot of people, so. He's, uh, yeah, it is what it is. We'll see what happens. He might buck his ideas up over the next couple of races. I just he think might... he's, uh, I think he's taken too much of a pounding, really. That's, um, that's what it feels like to me. I, I think he's had all of the resolve sort of beaten out of him. Um, uh, and, well, yeah, that's it, isn't it, really? I just, I don't the, see him turning it around now. And that's... Um, the problem is, is he needs to show something so that someone will give him a drive next year. If he, if he, if he's serious, and he obviously it looks like he's finished in terms of going into the Red Bull, but... If he's serious about becoming a Formula One race driver professionally for the next 10 years, then he has to show something that means a team next season will take a chance on him. And Sulkin isn't going to do that. You know, he needs to score some points so that a Williams or a Force India or whoever may have an opening says, right, okay, let's take a chance on Danny Fiat. Because at the moment, who's going to do that? Nobody. Because they see this petulant kid who, you know, yeah, he's had a was a bit unfairly treated at Red Bull. I'll be the first to admit that. But they'll see someone who hasn't really reacted to it in the right way and hasn't... Re- they'll, they'll look at Carlos Sainz and go, who do we want here? A guy who's been overlooked and has got his head down and is driving excellently, or a guy who has been overlooked and has thrown the dummy and is crashing into people and is whinging on the radio and is sulking, you know? Who are they going to... Who's Williams going to pick if Bottas goes? You know, who's going to... Who's going to replace uh, Felipe Massa at the Williams? You know, it's going to, you take Carlos Sainz over Danny Kvyat. And, you know, feel bad for Danny, but my sympathy only goes so far. He needs to show what he can do in the racetrack because we know he can be quick. So let's see it. 
I almost think he's he'd be better off going to a different formula right now and and trying to Thank carve you. himself. If he, you know, he could be the front runner for Formula E. Do you know what I mean? In a way, like be like, I'm not a you know, I'm not an old driver that's had my F1 career wound up. I'm just going to go in and and blitz it and and do something like that. But um, I mean, there's I, definitely an argument for that. But I think ultimately, in his head, he's still thinking. Formula One is the pinnacle. That's where I want to be. Anyone? So obviously he's going to be reluctant to to make that move. But he might. That that might be a decision that's out of his hands next season. Who knows? Uh, Has team next. Uh, Gutierrez in front of Grosjean. Grosjean uh, flat spotted his tires and had to stop again. Hence the reason why um, I think he ended up behind Gutierrez. Gutierrez seems to have picked himself up in the last couple of races, though. At least Agreed. he seems to be giving Grosjean a bit more of a run for his money. Um, Agreed. As we said, though, that's just that 13th and 14th seems to just sort of be about where they are right now. In a race where there was only three retirements, they were kind of going to struggle to get points, I think. But yeah, no, like I say, they've got nothing to be embarrassed about the Haas. They've, they've, they're they're hell, they're in front of the Salbers and the Renaults and the Manners. Exactly. So you can't be, you can't really be too upset with that for your first season in F1 so exactly and they're only going to improve I think next season as well so uh, Ericsson in 15th um, well all of the all of the people I'm going to talk about next I didn't see them no uh, I agree if they were on the racetrack then they were in the background uh, yeah so Ericsson 15th Magnussen in 16th Verline in 17th Felipe Nazar in 18th which has got to be really quite dismal uh, finishing behind the manor uh, and Harrianto in nineteenth. Yep. Uh, we I lost. Think Na- NASA Didn't must have had some sort of problem because he did he pit one one yeah. more time. Uh, he ended up behind even Harrianto during the middle of the race, so he must have had some. <laughs> oh yeah, there must have. Yeah, you're right. There must have been something. <laughs> I, I must have that. Uh, yeah, we I lost think... uh, Jensen Button exploding engine, uh, Julian Palmer leaking engine, uh, Felipe Mazza. Uh, Felipe Mazza, Nazza, Massa. <laughs> you get there in the end. Uh, Felipe it's Massa. Okay, we won't have to worry about him next season. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Felipe Massa in a in a race where David Croft did himself no favors to be taken seriously as a um, commentator. He said, "Oh, uh, is that a pit stop for Felipe Massa, or is he retiring?" As Felipe Massa was being wheeled backwards into the garage, it was kind yeah. of like, like it's not a pit stop. David, can you not just like watch the race and see it's not a pit stop? Crofty had a couple this weekend. Actually, he was. Honest, he wasn't. Good. He was bobbins. This there week. was a couple. There was a couple. <laughs> there was one where he just completely. He just got so tongue tied and he was all over the place. And then he was just like, eh, bleh, 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 and it was just like, just take a deep breath, stop, say, don't say anything, and then move subject onto something else. Because you've made a hash of that, Crofty. Move on. <laughs> He's when he said uh, the two Brits are out. So uh, here's Jensen Button with Julian Palmer. And I was thinking <laughs> like a sky suddenly hard up, and they've had to get the drivers to interview each other in the paddock afterwards. Uh, this is like oh, okay. uh, it's frustrating because <sighs> <laughs> you feel you could just do it better. I don't know. Yeah. I have to say, you know, I'll put my hands up and say I I don't know if I would be oh, a better co- commentator than Crofty, but I'd like to think I could give it a go. <laughs> Do you know what, right? It's I think talking about commentary is um, is a bit, you know, important here because obviously Martin wasn't there this weekend. Get well soon, Brundle. Yes. 
Paul DeResta was excellent. He was, I was amazed by... Paul DeResta was... I, I, I said to someone else at the weekend, get rid of Crofty yeah. and just keep PDR and keep Brundle. <laughs> and that'll do. Yeah. That'll suit me. But they're both analysts. So it doesn't really work. There's no really a natural play-by-play guy there. So I said it generally in jest. I'm not seriously suggesting we just get rid of Crofty and keep PDR and, and Brundle. But genuinely, like, if there was ever an heir to the Martin Brundle throne... Well done, Paul DeResta. I yeah. really enjoyed him all it, weekend. It's funny because I I don't particularly like him when he's doing the analyst role. When he's in front of the sky pad. See, I I'm quite like, like him doing that anyway. I'm quite happy with him. No, though. he bores the he bores the tits off of me. <laughs> he really does. Um, there's very few people who do that role that genuinely interest me. I used to quite like Karen Chandock because he was fairly animated about it. But both Anthony Davidson and Paul DeResta, I am not, See, I like I'm not fussed about. I like Anthony Davidson as well, so I think we just want I, different things. <laughs> I don't mind Anthony Davidson when he's just generally talking. Like I think he'd be great in like the F1 show or something like that, where he can vent your opinion in bits and pieces. But it's something about standing somebody in front of the, the Skypad. I think you just hate the Skypad. No, I like the Skypad. The Skypad's awesome. It's really good and clever and I like it. But it just seems, I don't know, it seems to suck the personality about out of whoever stood in front of it. Like they, It's so difficult to use that they can't think about anything other, anything else other than the... Uh, yeah, then how it works. I like... Uh, I like Anthony and I, I really really enjoyed Paul DeResta all weekend I never thought I'd find myself saying this and I almost want to slap myself for saying it but I didn't miss Martin Brundle and I'm, I'm, I'm one of Martin Brundle's biggest fans and I didn't find myself at any point during the race or weekend go oh, I can miss Martin Brundle because I thought Paul DeResta did such a great job I'd like to see more of him in that role definitely I'm not a big fan of three man commentary teams but if there ever was a case for one, get Paul DeResta in there beside Brundle and uh, yeah, and, they, and they they just need a better play by play person. Really, that's my um. I think so, and you know, the Crofty's an when he first came in from doing to do the play by play. You know, he did the practices and then he became the the main commentator for Sky. I was all for him, all for him, and over the last couple of seasons, I've just been like, ah, he's just grating on me and grating on me and grating on me, and this weekend. I noticed a couple of his uh, Croftyisms that just yeah that I was ha- I seem to be picking up on them a bit more this weekend than I had previously before. So I don't know what it is. It's, I've said this before with Crofty. It's I think it, it, some of his opinions do my nothing. Like you know, he, 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 I'll tell you something that happened this time. Can't be critical. without Martin Brundle there. He his opinion of his own opinion grew exponentially. A couple of times, he definitely sort of pushed what you know. If he would say something, and then Paul DeResta would say, "No, it's probably you know, it's probably more like this." And if Brundle had said it, he'd shut up and just go over to the next thing. But he argued the toss a little bit with with Paul, and I was kind of thinking, "Mate, you're still wrong just because it's not <laughs> you know, it's not Martin telling you it. You should probably listen to the guy who's actually raced Formula One." Um, uh, you know, and I get he's got a job to do, and it's um, it, it's hard having to be the guy that that's you know got to be the. It's easy to be the king. It's difficult to be Jr. Um, in those things yeah. to be the guy who's got to play it straight and be excited about absolutely everything. Um, but 
<laughs> I think there is a there's you know uh, a it's line. Yeah, I completely agree. And he's crossing it more than he was before. And ultimately, though, I'm not really sure what the solution is because I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that would replace him. Uh, no, well... And I, I assume they would just pluck someone from relative obscurity that, that we're not really familiar with. And he's still better than Jonathan Leggard, so... Of course, yeah, yeah that's absolutely <laughs> true. I, I, I look back on that era and it's like, how did I get through that? Like, yes. I don't... I don't like, how did I let that? How did I let that happen for so long without taking a stand? You know, God Almighty! But um, and he's, I, I think I don't. I think you don't mind James Allen, but I didn't really like James Allen. Eh? So. Um, James Allen is another person whose appreciation of his own opinions, I think, yes. is somewhat overrated. Um, or you know, he he definitely thinks a lot of what he says, and I don't necessarily agree with everything is this although i think he makes better points than um crofty does yeah what crofty says in ask crofty I, i'm often yeah that's yeah his ask crofty is almost more annoying than his commentary yeah. himself it didn't used to yeah. be when he first did it it was quite into you know it it was one thing and i don't know if the how it's gotten more famous he just gets crapper questions now than he did before um, because it now just seems to be half the time a personality contesting that he's he's being asked to say who he thought was better, and I don't care. Fair enough. Um, that's not what I care about asking. I wish people would say things like you know, <laughs> like me. I should have asked him and said, "I thought you, I thought you had could choose one of the two compounds that had to be the mandatory one." I didn't realize you had had to wear, you know. And he used to. It used to be those kind of questions. It was more interesting because you found out yeah. things that you didn't know. But now it's all about what he thinks. And uh, with the best one in the world, I don't know why people care what David Cross really thinks about those sort of things. He's not. <sighs> his opinion is ultimately irrelevant. I guess. Yeah, I'm. Mean, I say that in all seriousness anybody... because that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, of course. But I think I think we are doing it with a greater degree of humility in that, in that I absolutely know that my opinions are just my opinions. And as proven to me on Twitter, um, thank you to Neil Steele, um, if I say something and enough people think it's bobbins, they'll tell me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll have to justify it. And if I can't justify it, then I have to turn around and go, do you know what? I wasn't. I wasn't right there. Um, <laughs> hands up. Thank you. You know, you've changed my mind on this. But I can't. Could you? I can't see David Croft ever doing that. <laughs> Doesn't strike me as the type. <laughs> no. <laughs> he 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 argue his way around that he wasn't really wrong. He was just saying something else constantly until, <laughs> you know, <laughs> until he was talking about something completely different. Anyway. Uh, so that's enough. <laughs> that's enough about complaining about Sky Sky TV. Anyway, <laughs> and I, I, I only complained about Crofty. I like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's that's fairly true for me. Actually, Except, that's not entirely true for me because I can't stand Natalie Pinkham either. But I don't, I don't mind Natalie. I don't like Johnny Herbert. Right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> what about Damon Hill? I like Damon Hill. All right, I'm fifty-fifty on Damon Hill. <laughs> Although I'll join you on Johnny Johnny Herbert. 
<laughs> I, I I didn't particularly like Johnny Herbert, and then when he started on Fernando Alonso, yeah, the ultimate right. Okay, now I really don't like you, Johnny. <laughs> Who the hell do you think you are, <laughs> Mister One Grand Prix victory or whatever the hell it is he won? Godness me. Right, anyway, move on. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> so not a classic. It was an okay race, wasn't it? That's yeah. what I'd I'd sum this up as. Okay, it was absolutely okay. And the, it was more of a what it could have been that was the frustrating thing. It could have been a classic with just a little splash of rain or a slightly different tyre compound here and there. It could have been a classic. And it felt like almost that we were denied that. Like they teased us with it and then just went, oh no, you're just going to have this 5 out of 10 boring race. So that's what frustrated me the most, what it could have been. Because I love Montreal, it's a great circuit and you can overtake and you can have action there so could, what could have been is my uh, my my final thought on the race yes absolutely um, we are off to Baku next um, where <laughs> Azerbaijan I believe is it it is indeed Azerbaijan don't even know what the track looks like or anything like it looks like a big head on a very thin neck of somebody sat on a chair I mean this is our old game that we used to play this is we get to re- revive <laughs> it quickly go and have a look and see what you can make of it we'll try and find a coffee Je- or... Jenny Gow thinks it looks um, like a key or a keyhole I think no a key um, which I can see Right, let's have a look. Oh, it looks weird. Is that a street circuit? It is. Why is every new racetrack a street circuit? Like because yeah. because Monaco is legendary and Albert Park's quite good. Every new racetrack now is a street street circuit. Every like every new country that wants to host a race wants it to be a street circuit because it's glamorous and whatnot. So you got Singapore and Russia. Russia's not a street circuit, is it? But you know, it's uh, we have Monaco. Monaco's fine because it's Monaco. The rest, I always have judgment. That that's a very it's a very weird looking track. That circle bit towards the left. It's very. It's what you've got is the strange. first. The first bit is all left-hand uh, straights, so all 90-degree corners. Uh, and then it goes into the old town, which looks really interesting. That's the bit where it gets very narrow in places and they go around the old walls and they'll literally be driving past like an old castle wall, which looks very cool, um, mm. I have to say. Um, I don't think it's going to do wonders for overtaking. I think all the overtaking is probably going to happen in that square section and then they're going to be following one another through the the streety bit as as is it's massively wide and massively long in that in that straight bit um where they're building all the pits and bits and pieces it's very wide there uh, and then shrinks down so it, it's it's weird it's kind of half a circuit um like an old uh champ car circuit or something like that you know where they they drive around things and it's all like 90 degree corners there's no chicanes or anything like that unless they make them um, and then it goes into something that's closer to a Monaco-style street circuit rather than an Albert Park one yeah. uh, or a Sochi one. Um, it really is proper streets. They are going through the streets. So that's something in itself. It is a it is at least a proper street circuit mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a, yeah, tracks a track like, you know, in the middle of somewhere yeah. like Singapore or Russia. Like um, Valencia was the biggest one for me, which was awful. Oh. Uh, 
Hated that was that. the worst. The only thing I really liked that about was the was the bridge concept that they went over a bridge, and I thought that was kind of cool. But that was the only bit that was kind of interesting about it, and the only yeah. real interesting thing about it was that people crashed into it all the time. <laughs> to go to go back to our, our, our classic game, it looks like uh, a smoking pipe. Oh yes, it could be. So yes. the square bit goes in your mouth, and the tobacco goes in the circle. Bit. Vape. It's vaping. How very topical <laughs> and now. <laughs> but yeah, I'll reserve judgment. But just the first thing when I seen it, I went, "Oh, that looks weird." Like so, that, that could be weird, could be great, or yeah. it could be terrible. It could I, go either way. So uh, I'm definitely going to reserve judgment and see what it's like. Yeah. Um, what of they're course. saying is though that unlike Monaco, which is not a power circuit, this one might actually well favour powered uh, the the cars with more power because well, most of it is those big long straights. Um, and there's only that little tricky bit where there's not going to be that much overtaking anyway. So it's kind of a, it kind of, it's neutralized around that bit, I think, to some extent. Um, yeah, it could be an interesting one then. We'll, we'll, like you say, we'll reserve judgment. We'll see what happens. Um, but I'm, I'm at least pleased that it is a proper street circuit and that they, there's a bit where it's all cobbled and they, they have to, they layer something over the top of it to protect it and then basically tarmac it. So it's a temporary circuit surface and underneath it is like the cobblestones from the Hovis ad. <laughs> right okay um it's really interesting though you know could be, could I, I wish they weren't going there because i'd rather that they were going to somewhere in europe but actually in europe i should say not just on the european continent um but it's been really interesting to see it come together and see uh, there is a lap of somebody driving some kind of i don't know formula you know two or gp2 car i think or something like that around it yeah i'll um, need to check that out for sure yeah and it, it looks a bit more the the straight bits are dull as hell but the 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 streety bit looks like it might be quite interesting to to see from a car's perspective if if the if the straight is preceded by a first turn that they can get some overtaken in then i'm happy for that that'll do you know that's all you want you want a lot if if, if you're going to spend 10 seconds flat out down a straight at least give me a corner at the end of it where you can make something happen you know because you got um you got some straights where it's proceeded with a corner that is still not very good for overtaking, and so it's like, well, what's the point in the big long straight to proceed it if it's not going to be a decent braking zone for for overtaking? The first corner looks like you know something might be able to happen. So time will tell, but I'm look I look forward to it like anything. It's still another Formula One race at the end of the day. So any idea what time? It's going to be on at. Uh, I don't <laughs> know. I think it's, it's probably going to be late since it's um, it's much farther east than um, most of the other European races. So um, I'm expecting it to be fairly early morning, but not Way obviously more. like Australian Grand Prix early morning. Although that depends. They could do something like they do um, uh, where they they host it uh, later on in the afternoon, can't they? If they've got the sun the sunlight for it, um, it could be on later. Um, let's find out let's hopefully it should tell us oh, it doesn't tell me the times I thought that calendar would give me the times <laughs> not checking on the sky website itself and seeing there we go. Is this considered the European Grand Prix? That's it. Amazing, <laughs> it is. Well, because it's on the European continent, it's not that that place is actually in the European Union, which I suppose is fair enough in a lot of ways, isn't it? It's I mean, more yeah, sensible than Australia being part of Eurovision. So, 
Uh, apparently, it's on at two o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, really? So that must be fairly late on in the day for them, mustn't it? I have absolutely no idea. Because <laughs> it, it goes ahead that way, doesn't it? So if it's two o'clock... That, yeah, that must be like five o'clock in the afternoon. I was going to say, that sounds like that should be... I don't know. Anyway. Uh... It says it's on at two in the afternoon. Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks about right, so... Anywho. So, um, that was the Canadian Grand Prix wrap-up. Um, some things to cover uh, before the end of the podcast. The, the first is, if you're listening to this and you are an aspiring Formula One writer, we are looking um, for new writers who want to have a place to uh, put their work up for people to enjoy. Um, we're really kind of targeting people here who are just starting out, uh, maybe haven't even done it before, uh, but really want to, uh, you know, get their opinions written down in a in good, tidy, readable articles um, that we can we can host for you and we'll uh, you know we'll promote as part of uh, the Last Lap podcast. Um, but that also that you can promote yourselves as your own work and have a, a place where your work is viewable online for the public. Um, all you need to do is send us an example article to submissions at lastlappodcast.co.uk uh, and then a member of the team will take a look, have a read, and so long as it's of uh, reasonable quality, um, then we will accept future submissions from you and your work could be featured on the last lap, uh, or sorry, on, at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk uh, and we may well, uh, as we did with Scott's article on Danny Kvyat's uh, demotion, uh, you know, do paid for promotion on that, you know, so so pay for adverts on Facebook and Twitter and, and what have you to uh, help promote your work. So really hopefully a, a beneficial solution for us all around. But yeah, get those get those articles into submissions at lastlappodcast.co.uk uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll get you as part of the team. Um, and of course uh, if you want to look at anything else that we've done so far I've given you the web address at lastlappodcast.co.uk but you'll find us on Twitter at lastlappodcast and if you look for us on Facebook uh, we are the Last Lap Podcast on there as well download us and subscribe to us on iTunes, TuneIn and Stitcher um, and I think that takes us nicely to the end so thank you very much for listening and we'll see you after Baku thanks very much guys, bye bye cheers